0: Lapu Lapu is a highly urbanized city located in the Philippines. It is known as the hub for trade and commerce, delicious seafood, and rich cultural heritage, among other things. A city that is boasting with water activities, popular tourist attractions, and beautiful nearby islands. Lapu-Lapu is a great travel destination with many things for travelers to do. Within this busy city is a village where 16-year-old Christine Silawan lived, a peaceful village that was barely affected by urban life. That is until the morning of March 11th 2019, a scene so horrifying that it immediately grasped the unknowing passerby's attention. Christine's lifeless body was mutilated in the most brutal and savage way that no human should ever have to endure. When word spread of this brutal and inhumane attack, many locals and netizens demanded for the death penalty to be reinstated for the monster responsible. Welcome to another episode of Crimson Sin with Tamsin Lee. I am your host, Tamsin Lee. Full show notes and sources can be found at tamsinleecrimsonsin.podbean.com. This episode is more of a mini episode. I expect it to be very short because this case is from the Philippines and there wasn't a whole lot of details. It seems like some details were missing most likely due to a language barrier, but I was able to find some important details that some other podcasts that I have watched and listened to left out, so that should be something exciting for all my listeners. This episode also contains some pretty gruesome details. If you are listening, you can let your imagination run wild with these details. But if you are watching the video, I'm not going to include the horrific blurred image of Christine because I kind of struggled with this because I feel kind of like, I kind of felt like it's disrespectful in a way. I don't know. But if morbid curiosity gets the better of you, you can find the uncensored image of the brutal attack on the internet. But I must warn you, it is just ghastly, and not just the scene, but the fact that a person could do that to another human being, it is haunting. So many people on the internet who have looked it up, including myself, are haunted by the image, and a lot of other people have warned not to google this case because it is that bad. So, if you want to sleep easy tonight, don't look it up. (laughs) Legally, this case is considered closed and solved, however many feel otherwise about this decision as you will soon find out. And I must add that it does still seem like it is unresolved because I think the police did not conduct the investigation properly. This is my opinion. This was probably due to how they were pressured to find the culprit, or culprits. It appears that they jumped the gun a lot on this case, leaving many feeling as though no justice was served for the 16-year-old girl and her family. Christine Sillawan was born on March 26, 2003. In a village inside of Lapu-Lapu City, Christine lived with her parents in a small house in a middle-class area. They were considered poor, but her parents were able to make ends meet. She was a 16-year-old girl from the Philippines who attended Maribago High School. She enjoyed watching anime, reading stories on Wattpad, and she loved the K-pop band BTS. Her mother described her as a quiet and obedient child who always did everything she was asked without complaining. She was a volunteer church collector at the Sacred Heart Parish located in Paytac, where she would work every Sunday at the church from 4pm to 7pm. Christine spent most of her time between school and church. Just like many her age, she enjoyed using social media and sharing selfies using apps for fun. Also, like many her age, she was in the time of her life where she was starting to think about what college she would want to attend and what career she would enjoy. She was described as a good student, a good daughter, and an active volunteer at her church. On March 10, 2019, Christine told her mother she was leaving for church at 3.45pm, where she served as an usher. Her mother stated that she wanted her home at around 6.45pm. After the service finished, she was expected to be back home by 7pm, but she never returned. As the minutes turned to hours, her mother grew anxious because her daughter was never late especially not an hour late. Christine's family began asking around the village if they had seen her, but no one had. Christine was no longer at the church, and no one could find her. Knowing that something had to have happened to her daughter, Lords reported her daughter missing that very night at about 9pm to the Philippine National Police. The police began searching for the 16-year-old, but only around the small village where everyone had already searched. Hours later, on March eleventh, 2019, in a vacant lot in Lapu-Lapu City, there was a gruesome scene that passersby were horrified to discover. When authorities arrived at the scene, they thought they were dealing with a normal rape and body dump case. They did not expect to see something so grisly. The body of a young woman was found half naked with what appeared to be defense wounds on her forearms and hands. She had puncture wounds all over her body and half her face had been skinned down to the skull. Her neck was horribly damaged as if half of it had been pulled out. The sight was so frightening and her face so damaged, no one could tell who she was. Was it Christine? Her family was able to positively identify her based on the clothing found at the scene. The clothing she wore matched the clothes she was seen last wearing. This graphic and disturbing visual is the last image Lord's has of her daughter, with half her face missing on the right side, laying with her lower body naked on the ground with numerous injuries. The brutal display in which Christine's body was found immediately made the case a top story in the Philippines, generating outrage throughout the country. Everyone wanted justice for Christine because she was the sweet girl that had to endure such a savage butchery at the end of her life, and her mother was completely traumatized by what happened to her daughter. The public wanted the person who shattered this family held accountable. The death penalty was even pushed by many for this heinous act against another human being. The public was pushing for this sentence before authorities even had a suspect. This didn't stop local news media outlets from developing many different theories on what could have happened to Christine. Rumors spread causing panic, from a serial killer, to a cult, to people on drugs, and all the way to Christine being some sort of human sacrifice for a ritual. Police were claiming to the public that Christine had not been sexually assaulted, but many disagreed as she was found with her bottoms ripped from her body. With so much misleading information being released to the public, and the growing divide between the people in the country was becoming ever more present, eventually the NBI, the National Bureau of Investigation, was brought in on the case. The NBI is the biggest investigating agency in the Philippines. When the case was handed over, authorities started scanning all of the CCTV footage around the area and decided that it would be a good idea to go to the church Christine was supposed to attend the night of her disappearance. They needed to figure out if Christine had actually made it to the church that night to attend service. At the church, there is a logbook which people write their name and time they check in. So authorities looked at this and saw that Christine had checked in, but she had also signed out at about 6 p.m. At this point, no one was able to determine why she checked out of church so early. Pulling the CCTV footage, they saw that Christine was walking down the street with someone. The footage only showed Christine from behind, which witnesses and others identified the person to be Christine, but who was the boy who was with her? There were two autopsies performed on Christine. The first one conducted did not bring a whole lot of information, which was performed before the NBI was involved. There is speculation that the misleading details during this autopsy was given to try and calm the public because they claimed Christine was not raped. However, the second autopsy, which was performed on April second, 2019, included a lot of horrific details about what Christine had endured during her last moments. The forensic pathologist for the second autopsy stated that there were extensive and massive abrasions second degree lacerations and deep bruising to Christine's private parts, indicating that she was horribly raped with a sharp object which was twisted while inserted before her murder. Due to this sickening act, her internal organs were sliced and so began internal bleeding. Also, according to the doctor, her face was slit open and the wound was torn open with the culprit's hands and probably burned with sulfuric acid as the dark brown and black burn marks on her facial muscles, gums, eyeball, and brain were consistent with sulfuric acid burns. She was stabbed over 30 times all over her body There were also deep rope marks on Christine's wrists indicating that she was tied up and struggled to set herself free. There were signs that she was strangled with a rope, and a right handprint was clearly visible on the left side of her neck. She suffered the SA, the cuts, the burns, all while she was still alive. During the examination, it was also found that there were rodent and other animal bites on Christine's body. The doctor responsible for Christine's second autopsy said that an animal might have ripped out her tongue, esophagus, and trachea after the body was dumped. Her right ear had also been ripped from her head. Her ear and her tongue esophagus trachea, these were never found. The doctor also said that based on the type of injuries found in Christine's body, at least three people participated in her murder. All three suspects would eventually be brought in. Understandably, after everyone learned of the atrocious nature in which Christine died, citizens were beyond angered. It was bad enough that the person murdered was a 16-year-old girl, but this type of crime was on another level to which no one had seen before. After the examination and reviewing the footage, authorities decided to try and find cases that were similar. Maybe with that, they would find the person responsible. The first suspect the police looked at was Jonas Martel Bueno. Jonas was seen as a possibility by the police along with his two brothers because they were suspects in the murder of a 62-year-old local farmer and the similarities between the crimes were too close to be ignored. Both victims had their faces skinned to the skull, among other similarities. Because of the striking similarities, the police even began to wonder if Jonas was a part of some cult. By the time police were able to detain Jonas, he was living under an alias and on a different island, but even though he confessed to participating in the murder of the farmer, he vehemently denied any involvement in Christine's murder. After investigating Jonas extensively, investigators could not find a strong enough connection or any evidence between him and Christine's case due to a time frame conflict. His employer corroborated Jonas's alibi that he was working at a job site the day of the crime. After this, investigators decided to interview Christine's parents. They wanted to know what Christine's life was like and if there was anyone that may harbor resentment toward her. The parents didn't really know too much about anyone Christine might have known that would have wanted to hurt her. But they told authorities that they didn't know too much about the conversations Christine would have through her social media accounts. So when authorities were able to search Christine's phone, there was a number who belonged to her ex-boyfriend. Suddenly, authorities decided to turn their attention to Christine's ex-boyfriend. Which isn't a bad option when you don't have any leads, right? But because he's a minor, he was 17 years old at the time, his identity has not been divulged, but the media had dubbed him as John. Authorities working the case found CCTV footage of John walking with Christine after church. Supposedly, John is the one that they claim was walking with Christine. This made investigators believe that This was enough evidence that he was the last person to see Christine alive that night. They believed the motive could be jealousy because a few days before the murder, they had broken up. Investigators believed that John made a fake Facebook account to lure Christine into meeting the fake person he was pretending to be after the church service. Authorities also found pornographic material in John's possession and believed that he had accomplices because of the brutality of the crime. Which I'm not sure why it's profound that pornographic material was found. I mean, maybe pornography's illegal in, in the Philippines, I'm not sure. While questioning John, investigators found healed wounds on his shoulders, which seemed to them like Wounds that Christine could have placed on him as she resisted the attack in order to defend herself. The investigators found that they had to be very careful while interrogating John because he was still a minor. The authorities' evidence for this theory was based on conversations between Christine and John on Facebook Messenger, the CCTV footage which showed them together, and the accounts of witnesses. These witnesses identified John as the same person seen in the CCTV footage with Christine hours before her dead body was found on March 11th. But John's relatives made it abundantly clear to police that the accusation was baseless and that John was with them at the time of the crime. His mother stated in an interview that her son was innocent and that her family was suffering a lot due to the accusation. Investigators were certain that the teenager seen with Christine on the CCTV footage was John, but John's defense lawyer said that the police only had circumstantial evidence and that there were no eyewitnesses from the National Bureau of Investigation that John was the murderer of Christine. He also said that the family had plenty of witnesses that John wasn't with Christine at the time the crime occurred. John's defense did everything within their power to free his client, accusing the police and the prosecution of demonizing John to the media. In order to fill in the information they were missing, authorities offered a financial reward for anyone who could provide accurate information about Christine Silouan's murder. However, this also posed a lot of problems, right? A bunch of people would come in, pointing fingers at random people who weren't even around at the time, trying to earn that financial gain. So this was ultimately more harmful than helpful. At this point in the investigation, authorities believed wholeheartedly that John was the murderer. They even stated to the public that he confessed to the crime while his lawyer was absent. To which this claim was denied by John's lawyer. Even though investigators had no doubt that they had the right culprit, the case wasn't closed because they were still investigating whether John had accomplices and claimed that there were many witnesses coming forward to provide them with information on the case. John's family was trying their best to free their son because they were very adamant that he was home with them the entire time. John's lawyer was successful and freed his client on a legal technicality because when John was arrested, they didn't have a warrant. This decision was heavily criticized by the police who were seeking to get a reversal on the ruling in order to get him back into custody. So John's family claimed that he was with them the entire time, but there was also witnesses telling the police that they definitely saw John with Christine as she left the church. And even though authorities had the CCTV footage, it was only from behind. You couldn't see Christine's face. You couldn't see the man's face. Hundreds of locals started requesting for the death penalty in such brutal cases moving forward. Even though John had an alibi from his family, no one really listened to it, nor did they care about it because it just appeared all too obvious that he was the culprit. About a month after Christine's murder on April 21st, 2019, a 43-year-old man named Renato Linnes was caught by police for shoplifting. While being interrogated by authorities, he stated that he had been committing thefts for a very long time, but he also stated that he had something weighing on his mind. So back in February 2019, Christine had broken up with her boyfriend John. As we can all assume, she was probably feeling sad or discouraged, and a little lonely, right? She was on Facebook scrolling through her feed when she received a notification that CJ Diaz sent her a friend request. Even though his account was new, and he did not have many friends added at that time, she still accepted his friend request, as he was roughly her age. As soon as she accepted his friend request, she immediately started receiving messages from him, which she decided to reply back to. Through the messages, Christine learned that they had a lot in common. Their conversations went very well, so the two decided that they should meet sometime soon. Diaz would send pictures of himself to Christine and in return, Christine would send pictures of herself to him. I do not know the context of the images that they would send. I don't know if they were just cute little selfies with the filters. I don't know if it was just that or, you know, whatever. I'm only guessing that they're the cutesy little filters that you can put on because there are a lot of images online with Christine having those cute filters. So within a month of talking, they developed a very friendly relationship. So why not meet, you know? Christine told him to meet her outside the church on March 10th, 2019. This is why she left church early at 6pm. After finishing her duties at church, she logged herself out, stood outside and messaged her friend stating that she was outside the church, you know, where are you at? But he also stated that he was there. Christine looked around like, What? She couldn't find him. Then she noticed a 43-year-old man waving at her and then began to slowly walk towards her. He extended his hand for a handshake and to introduce himself, but Christine didn't say anything. He told her that he was Diaz. He was the one she had been talking to the entire time. When Christine met him after church, she got scared as she found out he wasn't her age and because he was an older man, she refused to date him. When she told him that she already had a boyfriend, he became jealous and very angry. The accounts of what actually happened when Christine met him vary slightly depending on where you look, but in the end, she still refused his advances and wanted nothing to do with him instead of staying with him in this awkward situation she wanted to just leave she wanted to get out of there she wanted to go home she wanted to go somewhere she felt safe so she decided to walk home but she didn't expect him to follow and chase her Renato told the investigators that he continued to tell her that He may not be the person she thought he was physically, but his feelings for her were real. At this point, I think she knew she was in danger as she was trying to get home quickly and she was being followed, but I don't think she really believed that she was in danger of being killed. So, in response to this rejection from Christine, he would escalate the situation greatly, brutalizing her with a pair of scissors and blaming his actions as being under the influence of drugs. After the gruesome act, he then took the victim's bag and also brought her skin with him which he stated he threw a few miles away from the crime scene. He stated, I stabbed her with a pair of scissors and peeled off her skin so she won't be recognized. During his confession, he stated that he tried to sexually assault Christine but was unable to. He stated that he came forward because he felt bad for Christine's boyfriend being accused of a crime that was committed by him. Renato continued that he felt pity for the boy. He also stated that he was inspired by the Momo challenge, and that's why he skinned Christine's face to the bone, leaving her eyeball exposed. He admitted to everything and that he was the only one involved. To further support his claims, both Renato's and Christine's DNA matched with the DNA found on a pair of scissors used in the crime. They were also able to recover blood-stained clothes from his home. But there was a problem with his confession. The first problem was that he stated he could not SA Christine. The second discrepancy is that he claimed he worked alone. Everyone knew these two claims to be not true, as the second examination of her body showed abrasions and bruising, showing that she had been SA'd, and it was determined that these acts could not have been performed by only one person. Later during an arraignment in June 2019, Renato decided to change his story and wanted to revise his confession, so he pled not guilty to the crime. He was supposed to attend a trial in April 2020, but it was ultimately canceled because of the coronavirus pandemic. On May 24th, 2020, Renato was found dead in his prison cell. Authorities claimed that he allegedly committed suicide by hanging himself. They stated that they would investigate it further, but there was no evidence of foul play. Investigators also told the media that relatives of Christine were threatening Renato in jail. He was also being bullied, and for this reason, He allegedly threatened to kill himself on many occasions. But something that struck everyone as odd and highly suspicious was that authorities stated that they would investigate into Renato's death. But only four days after this, he was already buried and the case was closed. So according to everything found in the Filipino media, Authorities were sure that John was the murderer, and they were in the process of prosecuting him while looking for his accomplices. Then, a couple of weeks later, Renato comes forward, takes all the blame for the crime, then seems kind of confused during his confession, and decides to plead not guilty, and then allegedly commits suicide because he was being bullied and then that's it. Christine's case is closed. That's, that's insane, right? Filipino people are very divided in who they think actually committed the crime. Some people think John is innocent. Other people believe that John not only committed the crime, but was helped by accomplices and that Renata was one of them. But this is all speculation, and none of it has been proven. With this story, I am in no way, shape, or form blaming Christine for meeting someone online, but it does serve as a cautionary tale of how you cannot always trust people you meet online. You always see and hear of the dangers of meeting strangers online, and even though Christine built a relationship with this person for nearly a month, he was still not the person she thought. Again, I am not blaming her for her actions because at the center of it, she trusted the person who she thought she was talking to. The problem and the blame should definitely go towards the perpetrator because no one should have to worry about something as disgusting and vile as this happening. While researching this case, I wondered a lot why the authorities were not able to catch the perpetrators sooner if they had access to Christine's phone and social media. They obviously had her phone in the social media because they thought John was the one who was messaging her using a fake Facebook account. Wouldn't they have been able to track that down and find his IP address to determine that it wasn't John? And these aren't the only questions that feel like they're left unanswered. Do you think Christine received justice? Do you think John was wrongly accused? Or was he a jealous ex-boyfriend who murdered the girl who hurt him? Whatever happened to John's supposed confession? Was Renato telling the truth? If so, was he the killer? Or was he just an accomplice? Was there even a connection made between John and Renato? It just seems like the more you pry into this case, you are left more confused about what the authorities actually investigated. And you just come out with more questions than answers. So, do you think this case has been solved, or do you think there is something more to it? Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Thank you for listening, stay safe, and I will see you for the next episode. Bye!